Darnell Williams at the tailback. They'll hand it off to Williams up the middle. 25. Cuts it inside. 30. 35. 40. There goes Cadillac. To the 50. To the 40. To the 30. To the 20. To the 15. 10. Go crazy, Cadillac. Go crazy. Touchdown. Now they can play a little safer. But they're not going to. Nix is back. Throws it downfield. Caught. Touchdown, Williams. A 20-yard attempt. Josh Harris, the snapper. He'll call to the place. He'll hold it. Byron waits for the snap to the place. There it is. The kick is up. The kick is good. Auburn wins. 22-19. What's going on, everybody? And welcome to another episode of the Auburn Today podcast. As always, my name is Noble. I'm joined here with my co-host, Wheeler. Today, we have a little bit of a different podcast than what we've been uh, focused on the past few weeks. This is going to be much more of a basketball-focused podcast. Football news has kind of slowed down a little bit. Um, it's gonna, I definitely think it'll heat up by next week. We'll have a little bit more transfer portal to talk about. But if you missed it, we had a podcast earlier this week kind of breaking down the Zach Calzada news um, and just kind of other football stuff going on. So if you're really in a football mood and you haven't listened to the last podcast, be sure to go check that out. But Today, we're going to talk about a little football, and I think we can just start off real quick with the, the news that happened earlier this week that we were not able to talk about on Wednesday is Kobe Hudson, Auburn's leading receiver, being dismissed from the team. The report came out that he would not be on the team, and then it was later revealed through his own Instagram story that he, t- that he posted that he was kicked off the team and that he never wanted to leave Auburn in the first place, so... Wheeler, what were your initial thoughts about Hudson hitting the transfer portal, and then how did those thoughts kind of change as it became more apparent that he was kicked off and that him and Harson obviously didn't see eye to eye? Just kind of walk us through what you were thinking um, through that whole scenario uh, that night. I thought that it was a really just an odd thing. So, first of all, I don't understand why if you get kicked off the team and the school doesn't say that you got kicked off the team, why you would find it necessary to go and post on your Instagram that you got booted because I mean, I guess there are some Auburn fans that are going to hate on you for leaving Auburn and transferring out. But I think more Auburn fans are going to hate on you for getting kicked off the team. Um, And I think it's going to be tougher to find a transfer destination. If you got kicked off your last team, as opposed to, just transferring. Um, I mean, I think he's going to be a loss. I thought he was probably the best receiver we had on the roster um, right now. His He had the same problem that a lot of our receivers had, though, in that he was just not super consistent. He would make a really good catch. He'd go, you know, back-to-back really good catches, and then it'd be like in the Birmingham Bowl where he had back-to-back massive drops that cost Auburn the game. So – not great that he's leaving. Um, he was a talented player, but really strange because it doesn't seem like he got arrested or did anything like criminal to get kicked off the team, which leaves me to believe that it had to be his attitude or something that he said to a coach or something like that, um, which I think we, I mean, from what we've heard from people, you know, DM in the page that are involved in the football program that there were some guys on the team last year who were playing 
who were not all the way sold into what Harson was trying to do. And that Harson, I don't think coming in, you know who's going to buy in and who isn't. So I, I think that's why he didn't necessarily, you know, clean house last year. But I think after this season, there were some guys that, I think there are more guys that moved along because of their attitude than just Kobe. And I think that Harson's not the kind of guy to come out and say, you know, we're getting rid of a couple of guys because of their attitude. Um, I think he's one to just let it rock. And if somebody wants to pitch a fit on Instagram about getting kicked off the team, um, then he just kind of lets them do their own little thing. But it was very clear. You could see the guys that were really supporting Kobe and saying, oh, man, yeah, F him. Like, because he, he posted in his, his little, like, caption, he's from the north, I'm from the south, he don't understand me, or something like that, um, which I took, and I think a lot of people took as him adding Harson, saying that they just didn't get along very well. And kind of the guys that were rumored to have had some run-ins or disagreements with Harson seemed to kind of jump to Kobe's defense and be like, oh yeah, we ain't playing for him no more. <clears throat> Smoke. Um, you know, just kind of I don't know. It it didn't surprise me. After seeing it all laid out, I was like, okay. I kind of see like this group of guys was not buying into whatever Harson was doing. And you could kind of tell by the way that they played on the field that they were probably not locked into Harson's mentality because they were guys that were typically pretty inconsistent and may or may not have always been prepared. And that's always what Harson talks. I mean, the guy hardly ever talks about the success of people on the field. You know, like TJ Finley had a, had a rough game in the Birmingham bowl. He didn't talk about what a rough game he had in the Birmingham bowl. He talked about how hard he worked and how well he prepared for the game. Like, for this season, after I think we weren't going to the playoffs, Harson, he cared about the outcome, but he really cared about setting the culture and having good preparation and doing things the right way. Um, and I, I think that Kobe, not that he's a bad person or anything, he just didn't, I don't think, wanted to buy into the culture that Harson's putting down. And that's fine. Like, those are the kind of transfers that I think the transfer portal is perfect for. Not the guy that's just whining and complaining, but the guy that signed with one coach who had one mentality and philosophy on how everything was going to be done. You have a coaching change. They come in and completely change how everything's being run. And I think that's fine. Like, you're not going to get along with every coach. And do I think it might be a little bit soft that you can't rise to the occasion when the expectation gets raised? Yes. But can I also understand where not everybody gets along with everybody's personality, and that's why recruiting happens and you go and you build relationships with the coaches? Absolutely. And so I think I'm not going to hate on Kobe or anything. I think he loved Auburn. I just don't think that he was ready for the culture that Harson was putting in. Yeah, I totally agree. And I definitely, you know, a lot of the people that I've talked to that are very involved with the athletic program in ways that, you know, other people are not. They the the from talking to them, it seemed like Kobe, especially with a couple guys, just didn't really didn't really fit. And it, it's different. It's difficult when you have guys that are really bought in and other guys that aren't. 
when and it's one thing if it's a guy that's not bought in that doesn't play but when it's one of the better players on the field that's when it gets a little tough because they're not even if they're not doing anything that is directly giving them a reason to not fit in it's just it's not good for the locker room to have guys that are not bought in and have guys that are more focused on what they do than what the team does you know and more focused on their personal accomplishments than the team accomplishments and it's not it's not a good thing but also I do I do agree with what you said with a guy like Kobe Hudson came in who was kind of coming in for a Gus Malzahn offense and he was coming in for a Gus Malzahn mentality and Kobe was a guy that fit the culture that Gus Malzahn built at Auburn so when the culture completely changes and all of a sudden Auburn becomes a school that Kobe wouldn't have come to if he was in high school. And I think that's that's kind of a thing that it's one thing if you if something happens and you get mad and you leave. And I think that definitely did happen. But I just think that with how Brian Harson runs this program, I think that if Kobe Hudson was a high schooler right now and visiting Auburn and seeing everything, I don't think he would have come to Auburn in the first place. Because I just don't think he and Harson saw eye to eye at all. And I also think you can see the players that Really, the players that were on Kobe's side and were more definitively on Kobe's side, where they were kind of throwing shade towards Auburn, were guys that, you know, we've talked, I've talked to people that are not that. From the people that I have talked to and all that, the guys that have, are in the program and stuff like that, and you can also pair what they're saying with the people that have definitively sided with Kobe Hudson on the situation, you can really kind of see who was bought in and who was not. And the guys that are kind of throwing shade towards Auburn University and the coaching staff are guys that weren't really bought in and didn't really love what Harson was building and were more focused on what they were doing as a player and for their future compared to what Auburn was doing as a team and for Auburn's future. I think that's a, it's a difficult thing to have in the locker room when some of your best players and some of your team leaders, like truly guys that are leading your team are not really focused or not really wanting to buy in to what the coach is bringing. And I think that that's something that's just kind of a growing pain that you're going to have when a head coach comes in is that, you know, you talk about one thing with his guys and his players, and it means stuff with, you know, X's and O's and guys that are recruited to perform in his system, but it also is guys that came in, like, when they were in high school, they can see how Harson runs his program, they can see how it's going to be at Auburn, and they can prepare themselves for that time at Auburn. And by the time they get there, the guys that are there and the leaders in the locker room are guys that are also bought into the Harson system and have been there for a little while. And they, you know, when it becomes kind of a generational thing that the players coming in are other guys that are all bought into Harson system, then it becomes a thing that you don't really have as many locker room problems because the guys know what they're coming into. And they know before they even commit to Auburn, they know what it's going to be like and they know how it's going to be like. I think that's a very important thing. And obviously, the ideal situation is not six and six. If you can start winning games, it helps with recruiting, but it also helps with stuff like that because if you buy time for a coach and a coach can be there for four to five years, then it becomes all of the guys in the locker room are people that knew what they were signing up for and knew what they were coming into. And I think that really helps with, you know, I mean, the 
the hard work and the spring and all that, it, it really does make a difference when everybody is bought in and not just half the team. And it, it puts Harson in a tough spot when one of his best players isn't really bought in because what are you going to do? Like you can't, you can't cut their playing time and you can't really talk to them because at the end of the day, they're not doing anything wrong. They're not doing anything that is, should take playing time away. It's just like, well, they're not helping the program but they're still getting theirs and they're still getting the stats that they were bringing to the table. And so it's just a tough situation and you hope that it just won't really mess your team up a lot. And we're kind of seeing that it's not messing the team up as much because those people are leaving, whether they're going to the NFL or they're transferring or they're just not taking their extra year of eligibility. Those guys, there are going to be much fewer guys like that that are in the program next year and even fewer the year after that. So it's just it's a growing pain that you just have to deal with. And but the thing is, I think if you look at the guys that we have lost, a lot of them are not guys that were great for the locker room. And so the people that you're going to replace them with are guys that are going to be more solid for the locker room. So I definitely think that Auburn in 2022, it will be more of a team and the locker room will be in a better place than it was in 2021. And whether the team itself is more talented the team is going to be more successful for one reason or the other. This team will not go six and six unless there are some crazy, crazy injuries, which I don't foresee happening, but this team is going to be better and it's going to be a better building block for the future than 2021 was. Yeah, I agree. And I think that now more than ever with the transfer portal, that it takes less time to build that culture because guys that don't like it have a, free pass out of town you know i mean it's not really punishing them that bad to to transfer so guys like kobe and i mean it's not it's a weird thing i understand it he did kind of get kicked off the team when they said you won't have a scholarship um because if you don't have a scholarship and you're from out of state i mean most people are gonna of kobe's talent are gonna transfer and so they were basically saying you can transfer um because I don't think that it was one of those things that he could earn it back. Um, but maybe he could, you know? I mean, if he really wanted to, he might have been able to stay at Auburn through the spring, work really hard, show that he was committed to the team, and uh, earn his scholarship back. But I, I can also understand him not wanting to have to pay for school when he has the talent to get his school paid for at, you know, another big-time college football program. So, but I also think, it's really tough. You know, people say it's all about getting to the NFL, and I think that the basketball team right now is a prime example of when you find the right guys that the team's success is going to lead to the individual success. Like, the NFL and the NBA are not going to not pick you up because you are being a team player. Like, they're watching the film. They're not sitting there watching SportsCenter. GMs do not decide who they're making their picks based off of what SportsCenter says and who SportsCenter talks about all the time. Like, they're going to sit down and they're going to watch the actual game film. They're going to see, are you a good teammate? Were you doing your assignment? You know, what kind of defense were y'all running? So if you're, you're a defensive player and you're not getting all the stats, you know, to win this award or that award, GMs are not just going to look at the Butkus Award list to see who the best 
linebacker is. They're not going to look at the Thorpe Award list to see who the best cornerback is. You know, I mean, Roger McCreary had the best uh, rating against receivers in man coverage, wasn't on the Thorpe Award list. Like, a lot of these awards are super political or what the voters of these awards think. And it's not just strictly who's the best. The NFL is a big business. They're going to come and find you. Like, if they're finding these guys from these random D3 programs and bringing them in for tryouts, like, they're going to watch the SEC film all the way through. And they're going to do a complete evaluation on you. They got plenty of people and plenty of time. So, not being a team player is not going to help you get to the league anymore. Like, they'll find you. If you're good, they'll find you, whether you're a team player or whether you're all about yourself. And if anything, I think it helps you if you're a team player. Because it shows that you can play football, but you're also wanting to win a championship. Because when you get to the NFL, again, they don't care about your individual stats. They're not going to re-sign you just because you can go ball out on your own. You know, if you are toxic to the team, I mean, unless you are just like really, really balling out, they're going to cut you. I mean, Antonio Brown, dude was super toxic. He was super talented. They cut him. They cut him in the middle of a game. Like, the NFL, there are very few players that they're just like, oh, I don't care what your attitude is. We're going to keep you, you know? And so I think that being a team player is more important than thinking about your own draft stock and how things are going to affect your draft stock because that's just that's not how football works. It's a team game. At every level, it's a team game, no matter how much agents or commentators try and make it not a team game and how much you know sports center will do bryce young versus stetson bennett who's going to win this matchup well they're not playing against each other you know they're never going to be on the field facing each other that's just a dumb thing that espn does because dumb people want to watch it and say oh the tide's gonna win because bryce is better than stetson well i mean there's 20 other guys you know 21 other guys that are going to determine the outcome just as much as they are so yeah that i think that's a good cap on the kobe hudson thing so noble you were back in auburn arena the jungle last night for the florida game i am washed up but not washed up enough that i have a job to buy 150 dollars tickets to random uh regular season basketball games Give us a little bit of insight as to what you saw in person and what you thought about uh, the jungle last night. One of the it, just kind of an interesting thing that I've noticed about this season, especially, is that, you know, you look at LSU and how crazy Auburn was for that LSU game. And yeah, it was crazy. But that's something that we have grown to expect from. Auburn basketball when you're playing a big time team it's going to be crazy and it's you know it's crazy all the time but it's like okay when Kentucky comes to town when a ranked LSU comes to town if a ranked Alabama comes to town it's going to be bumping it's going to be you know as Will Wade says they're going to be hanging from the rafters last night was an interesting one because it was Florida an unranked Florida team who's solid but like Florida nobody thinks Florida's going to make a final four no one thinks Florida's going to make the elite eight I'd be very surprised if this Florida team made the Sweet 16. So if you look at it, you're like, for the most part, this was an average, it's a solid team, but it's an average SEC matchup. Auburn Arena was 
packed and it was coming unglued at times in the game. And that is something where you're seeing that, especially with this team, because people are starting to see the talent that this team has and they want to see them in person. And they want to be able to say like, oh yeah, like you see Jabari Smith going off in the NBA. It's like, well, I watched him in person when he was in college. It's like, I watched that Auburn team he was on. I watched that, that Auburn team that won a national championship or that made the final four. I watched them in person. So you see people like that and it's getting to the point that it's not just if you're a good team coming to the jungle, it's if you're a team coming to the jungle, it's going to be the toughest place you play no matter what. And I think that's a really interesting thing. It's just really speaks to the program that is being built. But it really speaks to how Auburn is becoming, you know, Auburn will never be a basketball school just because, the, I mean, it's just football is king down here in the South. Football will, I mean, Football is, or basketball will never overtake football for the primary sport at Auburn University. It just won't. No matter, how, no matter how much success Auburn basketball finds, it just won't get that. But it's getting to the point that basketball is not considered a secondary sport anymore, and it's considered football is 1A and basketball is 1B. And then you've got, you know, you've got baseball, softball, track and field gymnastics. All those are lower-tier sports that are not – they're not going to get the money that basketball and football are going to get. They're not going to get the fan attention that basketball and football are getting. But it's getting to the point that basketball is not something that people are excited for because there's no football and there's good Auburn athletics. And that's kind of how it's been in the past years is it's like, well, oh, football's over. Well, now we have basketball, so we don't just have to talk about spring practice and A-Day and stuff like that. We can talk about the basketball team. But now it's getting to the point that it's like, okay, yeah, we love fall, we love football and everything, but it's like when basketball season rolls around, we're more focused on basketball than we are about football, you know? And the the, the spring and the offseason of football is just not as exciting as basketball. So it's really fun to see just how the program has changed, but also see how the team is developing game by game and season by season and just seeing all the work that Bruce Pearl and his staff have done at this school. It's just really, really cool to see and just comparing how Auburn Arena is just so, so much better of a home court advantage than other other SEC schools. Yeah, it's it's amazing to me still. And we talked about this, I think, two podcasts ago when we were talking about Will Wade and him coming out and saying that they're going to be hanging from the rafters. Again, last night after the game, Mike White comes out and says, yeah, we struggled at times to handle – our offense when the crowd was going crazy. Like, the guys couldn't hear me, and I don't even know that they could hardly hear themselves think. And it really got in their head and struggled. I've never heard coaches, like, come out and openly admit that the crowd, like, actually disrupted the game. Um, and I think it's just giving fuel to the fire. Like, <clears throat> like you said about how it's getting to the point now that even a unranked Florida team has the jungle going crazy. I think it's because people hear that they're affecting the game and people want to affect the game. And it's becoming also like a badge of honor that people talk about the jungle. And so when people go to the games, they don't go to the game with the expectation that they're just going to sit there and watch a game and, you know, clap when we do. Like, yeah, people want to be part of the crazy environment and that's why they're buying tickets. I mean, it's like I said, I mean, tickets to basketball games are ridiculous. That's why when the holiday bleacher was there, I was all over the holiday bleacher. And when we go on these road games where the tickets are cheaper, that that's a great opportunity to go and watch Auburn because people are, yes, they're 
coming to watch the Auburn game, but they're really going to be part of the jungle. It's becoming like an Auburn fan bucket list thing that like you got to experience being part of the jungle that, you know, made LSU give up an 18-1 run and made Florida give up a run at the end of the game. That's the thing, like last night, and Bruce mentioned this in the in the uh in his postgame presser, Auburn was looking pretty tired towards the end of the game, even with an eleven man rotation. Florida was absolutely gassed. I mean if you watch like the last five to six minutes, I feel like almost all of their threes were hitting off the front iron or they were air balls going all the way over because they had hit so many off of the front of the rim that they were trying to get a little more loft. And so they were gassed. Auburn was kind of getting gassed. And I really think having the crowd behind you, I mean, it makes a difference. You know, I mean, it, it changes the way that you're playing when you have the crowd yelling for you and encourage when you make a good play just going absolutely bananas like when kd johnson made that three towards the end of the game i mean the roof nearly caved in on the arena it was just insane so yeah i think it it's really big that auburn you know has that advantage at home because i was texting you last night i don't know that that performance happens or that that level of execution gets a win on the road I thought that was a pretty sloppy game. Florida is a good team, and I think that that was honestly the best game that they've played that I've seen. Um, I mean, they they had a really solid game plan. Auburn got into some foul trouble. I mean, everything fell into place for Florida to win. Like, what their game plan was happened to a T. The thing that they couldn't expect was that the Auburn bench was going to come in and have the games of their lives, or that Katie Johnson, who's been on a slump ever since we got back from the Bahamas, was going to bust out with 23 points. And that's what's so difficult about beating this Auburn team is you can do everything right. You can have guys, you know, bang away down in the paint, get Jabari, get Walker into foul trouble, have them not playing any minutes. You're able to dominate down low. And then all of a sudden, you're still losing because you have Wendell Green coming off the bench. You have KD starting to just make buckets everywhere you have Dylan Cardwell playing good defense in a backup role it's just so deep and it's hard to beat them but I am intrigued to see how playing this late Saturday game having a quick turnaround for Tuesday and seeing how tired the guys looked last night to see how quickly they can recover and to see what kind of legs they have uh, in the game in Tuscaloosa because you're not going to have all of your training room recovery stuff when you go on the road you know if this game was at home they would they wouldn't have to have the bus ride over to Tuscaloosa they would have their hot and cold tubs all the you know fancy recovery equipment that they have inside the arena but with this they don't have that it's more I mean you're going on the road you have what a hotel has you can make your own ice bath but you can't use the you know so it'll be very interesting to see how Auburn does on short rest when they already had some heavy legs to see if they have that bounce and that quickness back because they're going to need it for Alabama because the crowd is going to be juiced in Coleman and Alabama is going to have that bounce and that step and Auburn's going to have to match their intensity or they could be in some serious trouble. Yeah, I totally agree. And I definitely think that, you know, you, you look at how Auburn has played at home. Like, I, I don't think we'll lose a game at home this season. I just think that the way that our guys 
feed off the energy of the crowd, I don't think that we'll lose lose a game at home. I think the road game can be tough. And I do agree that the recovery aspect will be a big thing. But I do think it is advantageous for Auburn if you look at how the game went that, I mean, the Stars, I mean, honestly, like, if, if you look, especially with Jabari, I mean, Jabari really didn't play a ton last night. He came in pretty early for a guy with three fouls in the second half. He came in really – he came back in really early just because we needed the guy to play. But, I mean, Devin played 17 minutes. Jabari played 21. Walker played 24. Zep played 21. I mean, and Jalen Williams played 21. And he, I mean, coming off the bench was actually a lot of minutes. But if you look at the starters, it's like, okay, the starters didn't play as many minutes as they usually play. So I think that the bench might be struggling a little bit more when you look at how the they will be gassed in the Alabama game because Alabama plays a really, you know, high-tempo, really – run and gun kind of basketball but I mean I I think that our guys will be able because of this game against Florida and how they really didn't play that much because of foul trouble I think that they'll be a little bit more well rested than they would have otherwise been I think we talked about this um I, I think we talked this was like a month ago but we talked about Auburn's kind of run up to the Alabama game you know you have a really tough game against LSU a game against South Carolina that no one was super worried about game against Florida that's a, a solid team you're like you gotta play you know you're gonna have to perform well to win the game you look at Alabama they you know have a game against Missouri which we expected them to win easily and have kind of an easy game right before Auburn they ended up losing that game so I think that if you look at it you're like Alabama is going to be a little bit more gassed than we are and obviously the adrenaline is going to be pumping and you know they're going to be ready for that game but if you start I mean if we're playing a high tempo game and, you know, it's the last five minutes of the game, and you've got Shackelford and Quinterly that barely ever come off the bench, and Shackelford's got 37 minutes under his belt for back-to-back games, he's going to start slowing down. It's going to be nice to have a guy that only played 20 minutes on Saturday and a guy that only played 17 minutes on Saturday. So I think that's going to be something – that'll be something to kind of watch. And if the game is the game is close and it's kind of – a run-and-gun shootout kind of game, I think that Auburn would have an advantage in that sense because the guys will not be as tired as the Alabama guards that have been having to carry the team on their back for really all season. So I definitely think it's an interesting aspect of the game to watch. Yeah, and for the people that haven't watched much Alabama basketball, just kind of a rundown on, Alabama really likes the – almost just the – they love to shoot the three ball, but – more so than draining the three. And I thought this was really interesting because before the podcast today, I went and I was looking at Alabama's three-point percentages because I just assumed, based off of how people talked about Alabama's team, that they were just like absolutely spraying from three, you know, that they were destroying the three-point line. And the thing is, they their season percentage is not that great as a team. Now, that is the key thing. The people that have been killing it from the three-point line are uh, Shackelford and Davidson. So in their win against Gonzaga, where they scored 91 points, the team shot 38% from three, which is, I mean, that is a, that's a good night shooting from three for a team. But Shaq and Davidson shot 71% from three. Okay, so when you're starting point guard and you're starting guard, are shooting 71% from three. The thing is, first of all, 
Gonzaga is obviously going to make an adjustment to go out and cover those guys if they're shooting 70%. So that is opening up wide open lanes for them to cut and drive. And then they shot 45% as a team as their field goal percentage. That is just, I mean, super high percentage. That's how you get to 91 points against a top 10 team is they love to spread the floor out, have their guys shoot the three, and then they like to dump it down inside. Auburn has struggled this season, and we've talked about this on the podcast. You know, every time we look forward to this Alabama game, Auburn has really struggled covering the three. We have been very fortunate. We have not had one of those games yet where the other team is just shooting the lights out from three because we're going to be in trouble when that happens. I hope it doesn't happen on Tuesday night, but the team that's able to hit the three ball is going to give Auburn a good run for their money because the three-point defense has been average to poor. And nobody wants to talk about that because we keep winning by double digits. But I'm just saying, I mean, even last night, you look, with a minute left, Auburn's up by 10. They give up a wide-open three-pointer, drain, get another turnover. They give up another wide-open three-pointer. You do that to Alabama, he ain't missing it like the Florida guy is. The reason yeah. Florida hasn't won an SEC game this year is because they have wide-open three-pointers to get the game close with under a minute left, and they're airballing them. Alabama ain't going to do that. So the keys to the game, in my opinion, is to be able to cover Shackelford and Davidson out on the perimeter. Traditionally, Bruce loves to run a zone. I think they're going to have to play man. The thing is with man is that's putting Walker on an island. That that was Walker's problem last night was a lot of times when Walker is having to play man, he is he chases, and when you get him moving a lot, he's very athletic. But the more you get a big man moving, the more likely it is that you can draw a foul. Because even if they aren't trying to foul you, when the big man is moving, when you dive into them, that's going to be a foul. When they have their feet set, you can dive into them all day long, and it's not going to be a foul. So that's why we love to play the zone. With the personnel that we have, when we play zone, we are able to stay relatively out of foul trouble. When they get everybody moving, that's where we get into foul trouble. And that's why I'm really concerned. I don't think that we match up super well against Alabama on the road because on the road in the SEC, you're not going to get any calls. Like, Auburn's going to get hosed by the refs. That's like, Auburn fans don't need to complain on Twitter. That's what happens. Florida got hosed by the refs last night. We got hosed a little bit, but like, and I know that it didn't change the game because they ended up scoring on the inbounds pass, but that no call on Devin, I mean, he absolutely wrecked the guy. Now I understand the ball was already out of bounds and then he was kind of throwing his body up. It was a little bit of a cheap thing, but at the end of the day, if it was roles reversed and KD Johnson got smoked like that in Auburn Arena, everyone would be booing and saying that that's the worst call ever. Ball don't lie. They scored. Doesn't change the game. But I'm just saying, when you're on the road in the SEC, you're not getting calls. So Auburn fans need to be ready. We're going to get hosed. And that's just how it is. We hope that Jabari's not getting hosed and that Walker's not getting hosed the entire time. Because also last night, I mean, there was that one uh, breakaway where Jabari did a swipe by, caused the guy to miss it just because he was afraid of getting blocked from behind. Never touch the guy, gets called for a foul. All right, now that's a bad call, but those are the kind of calls you're going to see on Tuesday. They got to play smarter. 
if the guy's going to – sometimes it's better to give up the basket than to give up the foul. When you're in foul trouble like you were last night as Jabari, I love the effort and I love the intensity, but sometimes you got to know how to make a business decision for the rest of the game. Because picking up the fourth foul or him making that layup, it's more important to Auburn's chance of winning to have Jabari Smith being able to go and play offense than the two points that they score on a breakaway. So yeah, and it yeah, and it's one thing. I mean, it's one thing if it's a tie game and it's like okay, that two points is really big, and you got to do everything you can to not let them score that. When you're up by ten and you're trying to keep a lead or trying to extend a lead, sometimes it's okay to just let the guy get the two points. And, you know, because on offense, especially with the volume of threes that Jabari shoots, I mean, if he gives up three, you know, three easy layups, it's two two shots for Jabari that he can, you know, tie the game and make it not as much of a big deal. So I, I really think that when we're in foul trouble, it's very important to just kind of let the guy score without letting him score. You know, you try and make it difficult. You try and impact the shot. But you don't have to block everything, and that's the pro- and that's just a problem that you're going to see when Walker's blocking everything and Jabari gets a decent amount of blocks. You see everybody wants to get blocks, and everybody wants to be, you know, getting the eleven blocks in a game because they see their teammate do it. And we saw, you know, we've talked we talked about it about Sharif did this, Isaac did this, and guys replicated it. You see guys with Walker, everyone's trying to get the block, and it's great when you get the block. It's great. But when you start getting into foul trouble because you're going for blocks that are really tough to get, and even though you can get them sometimes, sometimes you just got to tip your hat to the guy and not try and have the chase down block where you ignite the crowd. And in fairness, he did do the smart play. Like, yeah. if he didn't get a terrible call called against him, he didn't touch the guy. He wasn't actually going for the ball. He was going for the pressure behind him and not to touch him. He did exactly what he was going for, and he got a terrible call against him. So maybe that was a bad example, but it's it's those kind of things that this isn't the NBA. In the NBA, there's a reason those guys are reffing in the NBA because they're more professional. They're better at seeing, oh, this guy's going to go for a swipe. Guys in the SEC, I mean, honestly, I think a lot of times they're ready to blow their whistle before the plays even past the three-point line. They're seeing how fast the guy behind is running, and they decide, I'm blowing the whistle on this. There's no way he doesn't foul him. And then he doesn't yeah. foul him, and he's already blown the whistle. You can't go back and review it, and there you have a bad call. So just be ready for for some trash calls. Well, and also, just kind of adding on you know, how Auburn played against Florida last night, you look at it, for, for those, you know, I, I recognize that a lot of people probably have not been watching Auburn basketball as intently as we have been for as long, and that's fine. But the thing is, Auburn has struggled with Florida almost more than any other school. And, and it's, really, it's really a frustrating thing because it's just it's, – it's been even before Bruce, you know? Like, I remember in – I think it was 2013, we played them in Auburn – this was the twenty, like the twenty twelve, twenty thirteen season. It was one of those. We played them in Auburn, and it was. I mean, we got smoked. I mean, I think we lost by thirty points. And Chris Denson was the only guy that showed up. Rob Chubb had a signature game where he had like one point. I mean, it was it was a horrible game. And then it was like I think we followed up the very next year. We lost again by, 
I mean, we we got smoked by Florida so much. And you know, there's that one game uh, we played them in home at home. I think this was either this was either the year before Bruce got here, the his first year, where Chris Denson and KT Har- and KT Harrell showed up and played really well. I think they combined for like 40 and we lost by like seven. But that's one of the closest games we've had with Florida. And I think we've we've won like three of the last like it's 18. Like I, I don't I don't know the exact number, but we have gotten beaten. We Florida has beaten us much more than we have beaten them, and it really hasn't been close at all. And so I think that it is just A, it's you know, Florida against Auburn, and it's one thing, but also Mike White has done a really good job coaching against Bruce Pearl. And Bruce is, you know, that's the thing with a lot of SEC coaches. Some guys just run their programs and the style of basketball that they play helps you against certain teams. Auburn against Tennessee. We really don't lose to Tennessee. We beat them a lot. And every time we have played them in the past, I think we've won six or seven straight. Tennessee really struggles. Rick Barnes really struggles to beat Bruce Pearl. And that's just how it is. Kermit Davis at Ole Miss, that's another coach that is kind of Bruce's kryptonite. It's not easy for Bruce to beat Ole Miss. And there are some teams that, you know, we play and we're like, oh, we don't have a problem with them. They're fine. We beat them all the time. Then there are some teams where it's like, even when we're really good, they still beat us. Ole Miss beats us a lot. And so Florida was a team that used to beat us a lot. We didn't play well. Rest didn't really do any side many favors. But we won that game because we were at home. And so that's something that, you know, you, you know, you speak to this team and it, it helps that you can beat Florida. Alabama's a big game. Then you got Ole Miss on the road. That's going to be a tough game. So you're just going to look at it and we have a really tough three-game stretch for Auburn. You know, it's like you're going to look at these past three games and you're going to say, oh, well, Alabama's the tough one. It's like, yeah, Alabama at, on the road is the tough one, but it's like we don't beat Florida or Ole Miss very much. So if you beat those teams, it's like, okay, that's a big deal for Auburn. Whether that looks great on the resume or not, it's going to look good for Auburn and Auburn fans in the sense that it's like, okay, that is a style of basketball that usually beats Bruce's style of basketball and Bruce beats them. So I think those games are really important to watch whether they matter as much on the resume or not. Um, And another thing, you know, kind of breaking down the Alabama matchup a little bit, you know, we've talked, you know, we talked about playing man, because, you know, Bruce really doesn't play man a ton against Alabama. A lot of the time he goes into his zone. And we played him in the 1920s season. You've got Isaac and Samir, which were two of the best defenders in the SEC. And we still went to a zone. And they absolutely tore up the zone in every sense of the word. Game went to overtime. They couldn't miss. They set the record for most threes made in an SEC basketball game and lost. I mean, they were shooting the lights out. But we played a zone because we didn't want, with all the switches that they do and all the switches that they force that we, you know, gladly go into, it messes up when your center gets stuck on a guard. So if you look at it, I don't, I really don't know how much Walker is going to play in this game, whether he's in foul trouble or not, because Alabama specializes in small ball. I mean, if Betty, so they've got Charles Bediaka, who's a seven footer. If he is on the floor, I expect Walker to be on the floor right with them because I think Walker will dominate that matchup. But if you look at their other forwards, I mean, you got Jawan Gary. He's 6'6", 6'7". You've got Darius Miles, 6'6", Noah Early, 6'8". Um, and then, so that's pretty much it. Like, they really don't play – I mean, they play eight. 
So you look at it, they're very guard heavy. Keon Ellis is naturally a two guard, but he plays the three. You've got J.D. Davis and you got Shackelford, you got Quinterly. They're an extremely guard heavy team and they like to play small ball. They're very similar to how Auburn used to be before we started landing these big guys, you know, back in 2017, 2018, when we were a really small team. That's how they are. So I really think it'll be interesting. Last night, you saw a lot of Dylan Cardwell coming in right after Walker, and he was, you know, the number two center off the bench. And Castleton was kind of beating him up a little bit because Castleton is just a really smart player and can draw fouls, and Dylan is a good player, but Dylan struggles the most against guys that draw fouls because Dylan jumps on every pump fake, and he's going to foul the guy no matter what. And so Dylan was more of a size matchup for Castleton, but still, even in that game, you saw Jalen Williams come in at the five when Walker fouled out. So I think you'll see a lot more of Jalen Williams and Jabari on the floor at the same time because Jalen fits more of that small ball lineup because he can stretch the floor with the best of them. He can defend one through five, and that'll be a guy who I think is his success will be critical for Auburn's success in that Alabama game. Because all of a sudden, if you've got Jalen Williams and Jabari and Allen as your three forwards in your center, then all of a sudden you still have the size advantage against Alabama, whether you're playing – I mean, that's, that's a small ball lineup for Auburn. But the thing is, your small forward is going to be taller than their small forward. Your power forward is going to be taller than their power forward. And your center will be taller than their center as long as they don't have Bediaco playing the five. And so, and all five of the, or all three of those guys can shoot the three. So Auburn can really beat Alabama at its own game. If Alabama wants to go small ball, I think that it would be really advantageous for Auburn to put Jalen Williams in at the five and small ball right with them. Because I, I really fear that if Walker is playing the five and we're in man, like in a man defense, they're just going to go with that high ball screen. They're going to have Shackelford on Walker, and Shackelford is going to shoot the three. And if he doesn't, he's going to drive in. He's going to try and draw fouls. In Coleman, he'll probably get the call. I just, I really think that the small ball way of play is really going to be helpful for Auburn against a team like Alabama. Now, against a team like Kentucky, I, I think we're going to be going big. We're going to be locking up the paint, trying to stop Deshebwe. But I think against Alabama especially, we're going to try and go small with them. But either what are you thinking kind of a more of an X's and O's aspect looking at the uh, Auburn-Alabama matchup? No, I'm with you. I think that Jalen Williams is going to have a much higher – I think he's going to play a lot more of the five than Dylan will. Uh, you said you don't think Walker will play as much. I, I think that Dylan is really the guy that's going to suffer in this game because – I would say Dylan is similar to Walker mobility-wise, maybe slightly less mobile, um, and not. I mean, he just the way Dylan plays basketball does not match up very well with what Alabama wants to do. Whereas Walker, I mean, it's like we said, he could end up having a really good game and be able to get some blocks from behind if he's yeah. you know off of that high ball screen because he was able to do that against South Carolina against St. Louis, you know, um, I just don't each time I feel like it's just a bump up in competition and he's been able to rise to the occasion every time so far on the, on people just trying to blow by and him still blocking from behind. I think this is probably going to be one of the highest guard play teams that he's going to play. And I think this is kind of one of the final challenges that he hasn't seen now. Kentucky is going to present a challenge that he's seen before and he didn't do super great against, which that is a 
big, very physical five. We saw that in the UConn game, and he got worked. Now, he's a lot better than he was in the UConn game and when he was in the Bahamas. He's learned how to kind of play college basketball a little bit more. So will he get worked like that? Hopefully not. But I think, and I don't think that Bruce necessarily knows how Walker's going to be able to play against these kind of guards. I think he's hoping, and I think he's going to have a game plan for both. I think he's going to have a game plan of Walker's able to keep up with the guards. He's able to get some blocks. He's able to alter some shots. That's the thing. If at the beginning of the game, Walker's able to get one, maybe two blocks on a guard that just runs past him from the three-point line and keeps them from having an easy bucket, he's going to be in their heads the rest of the game. Like, you're not used to that. And if you look at that massive, you know, 7-1 huge wingspan and you know that he blocked you before and you know that he has the athleticism to keep up, that's going to be in the back of your head for the rest of the game. So I don't want to completely count Walker out of the game. We're just analyzing what we think, what we've seen. I think it's going to be tough for Walker to do that. Like you said, I think that Jalen Williams is going to be a great – he has experience playing the five from when Auburn didn't have another big guy. He knows what the five position is. Um, And so I think he's going to have a good game. I think this is going to be one of the first games that we're going to have to rely on Allen to really step up offensively. I think he can do it too because you saw last night Allen, just like everybody else on this team, is just a team guy. Like they are team first players, all of them. And so Auburn hasn't needed Allen to be super active on the offensive end. We've had other guys that have been able to step up and score. When you saw the Jabari and Walker get into foul trouble, Allen said, okay, I'm kind of the next man up as the playmaker. And you saw him go and get back-to-back buckets. I mean, one of them was a ridiculous, like, spinning finish. I don't know how he finished the ball. It was beautiful. I mean, it was a flash of what we thought we were going to get out of Allen. And I feel like we're getting more and more of those flashes. And I think he just has that maturity. He and – I know Jabari's just a freshman. Jabari is the king of killing momentum for the other team. Every time the other team starts to make a run or something, I feel like they give the ball to Jabari and he does something that's just a dagger in their heart. I mean, he'll do like a, either a mid-range jumper just in somebody's face or he'll hit a three. Same way with Allen. If Jabari's not out there, Allen's going to go and put the dagger through their heart and stop the run. And so he's going to, I think he's going to have to step up and do that a little bit more too because that's going to be, I think that it's going to be a game of runs for sure. And that crowd's going to be getting into it. And I'm, I'm intrigued to see how the team reacts when the – I know that the St. Louis crowd was intense, but the Alabama crowd, our team is so crowd-dependent and loves to yell at the crowd and yell at the bench. If they're able to keep their emotions in check enough to stay focused on the game, and if things start slipping a little bit, if they're able to keep a hold on the game, which I think they will be – I mean, they haven't shown a game so far where they haven't. And St. Louis, I mean, they, they got down pretty well and uh, had an intense crowd, but still. I, it's going to be a very intriguing test. I'm kind of nervous about the game, but I'm also excited to see because I think that it could be a really big win and a really maturing win for the team. Yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, it, it kind of builds on what I was saying about the Florida and Ole Miss game. It's like, this Alabama game will look better than those wins will in a resume, I and mean, it's still going to be a quad one win. 
But if you look at Alabama, they're not as good as they were last year. They're not going to make as much of a run in the tournament just because of the, the structure of their team. But it, it'll prove, it, it'll test Auburn's versatility. And we know what we can do against teams that have the certain mold. A lot of the teams that we've played play a similar style of basketball and have a similar thing. Alabama's not like that way. Alabama's small. Alabama's fast. Alabama's athletic. They're going to beat you with that. And Kentucky's not like that. You know, Kentucky's much more, you know, Tashibwe's just a monster inside. He's going to get points. He's going to get rebounds. But you got a guy like Severe Wheeler who's just going to pick you apart and is just great, a great playmaker. And he'll, he's, I mean, he's the best playmaker in the SEC and one of the best ones in the country. So it's like you're going to have that. You're also going to have a guy like Shackelford who the vast majority of his assists aren't necessarily he's making great passes. He's just sucking in the defense because he drives in and there's so much attention on him because of his scoring ability that he kicks it out. So you're going to have guys, you know, you got to be able to guard guys and you're going to see all these kind of guys in March. You're going to see different teams. And if you can play those teams in the SEC, play them in a hostile environment and beat them, it's really good for experience and confidence going into those games. Now, with the, you know, tough environment, there is no doubt in my mind someone in Auburn is getting a technical foul this game. Whether it is Jabari because he yells at Nate Oates and tells him to shut the F up and that nobody on his team can effing guard him. It could be that. It could be Bruce screaming at the ref. You know, a lot of the time when Auburn's down and Auburn needs a spark, Bruce is just going to get a tech. And Bruce is just going to yell at the ref and say stuff that he knows is going to get him teed up because it gets his, you know, gets his players hyped up, gets them excited. KD... KD could get into a fight with someone sitting courtside. I would not rule it out that KD would start swinging on someone sitting courtside and get a tech. Like, none of this, I would think, would be crazy. So, and especially a team like Alabama, whose fans, especially against Auburn, are known to kind of attack the players, just like, you know, it's a rivalry game. I expect Auburn to get a technical foul. And I think it'll be interesting to see how Auburn reacts, because once you get a tech, that's when the highest of highs happens for the crowd. When a player gets teed up, it excites them more than anything. And a lot of the time, Auburn can bounce back, and it's kind of, you know, if you look at the biggest games that Auburn's played that Bruce has gotten teed up in, it usually starts a run for Auburn. So I think it'll be interesting to see how Auburn will respond to a potential technical foul that I really think is going to be coming against Alabama. But another thing that you were, you know, we were mentioning with, Walker that I just kind of wanted to touch on real quick is that you see, you know, a lot of people were asking after that LSU or really after non-con and after that LSU game, when they see that he can block people at a high level in the SEC, you see that his blocks have gone down, not by much, honestly, he still had seven blocks in the past two games, which is really impressive, but you see guys that are scared to attack him like South Carolina, South Carolina like almost never shot the ball in the paint when Walker was in front of them because they knew he would block it. And they were, you know, all of his blocks felt like came from behind or came late in the shot clock when they were kind of forced to do it. But they were not, I mean, it was the game plan. If you see number 13 in the paint, don't try and lay it up on him because he's going to block it. Against Florida, they were the same way. They just got more paint presence because Walker wasn't really in the paint as much. But I, I remember this one play, this was early in the game, and they have a high ball screen. The guard goes through, and literally before he goes to the paint, he has an open lane where he could go for a layup. It, it was fairly open, but it, it was the kind of layup that nine times out of ten the point guard's going to go for. And instead of attacking it straight away, he looks back to see where Walker is. 
because he doesn't want Walker to come and get the chase down block and hype up the crowd. And as he looks back, Allen strips him. Auburn gets a quick two on the other end. So that's something that is, you know, you can see how Walker affects the game in the sense that if he's standing there and they have an air ball because they try and throw it over him, and that's an immediate, like, yeah, he didn't block it, but you can see that he affected the game. With that, he's not really near the play, you know? Like, he, he's, he's behind the three-point line. This guy's in the paint, and he's looking back to see where Walker is because that's how much of an impact Walker has. And obviously that impact has earned him. He's going to be on the floor a lot. But I, I think it'll just be interesting to see, A, how Alabama, how Auburn plays him against Alabama and that defense, but also how Nate Oates gets his team to treat Walker. If they're going to be similar to how the past two opponents were where they're scared of him, or if they're going to just try and get him into foul trouble and get him out of the game and prove that they aren't scared of him. So I think that's just going to be an interesting thing to watch for Nate especially a guy like Nate Oates, and I just feel like how prideful he is and how much he hates Auburn, I don't think he's going to admit that he is game-planning around an Auburn player and to not let that player do what they do best. Uh, Nate Oates just seems to me to be the guy who is going to be overly high on his guys, and he's going to say, oh, he's not that good. Oh, y'all mm-hmm. can do this. Y'all, y'all can drive it on him like – get him in foul trouble. Like, he's, he doesn't seem like the kind to back down. And I think that's why his teams don't – aren't as successful as they could be. Because that's a great mentality when your guys, you know, are low in confidence. But the problem is that sometimes you have to be smart enough to admit when that guy's really good, he's really talented at this, we need a game plan around it. You know, and I think that's the thing with Bruce. Bruce isn't so hard, so, like, prideful in his guys that he's like, oh, we can do whatever we want. This is our brand of basketball. This is just what we're going to do. Like, no. I, I mean, he said in a, a preseason press conference, he went up to the two-point guards, and he asked uh, Wendell and Zepp, what, what do y'all think y'all are ranked point guard-wise in the league? And they were like four or five. He was like, okay, yeah. That's probably about right. Y'all may be a little confident in yourselves. Like, he, he's not going to go blow smoke up him and be like, no, nah, man, like, y'all could be the number one in the league if y'all just did this, this, and this. Whereas Nate Oates is like, my guys are number one, like, blue-collar basketball, wear a hard hat, you know? And that's why they go lose to teams that they're a 14-point favorite with because it's, this is how we play basketball. It's going to work. And then they're losing, and then they lose. And it's like, well... You didn't make any adjustments because you just thought you were better than them, and that was your blue-collar mentality. Exactly. I think it, it, it's, it's helpful when your, team, when your players truly are better than the guy they're matched up on, but when they're not playing that way and you really don't change the way you play, it's difficult to get wins in strange games like that that happen in the SEC all the time. So I definitely think that Auburn is going to have – Auburn's got a tough test ahead of them. Auburn's got these two games – and then Kentucky's coming up the next week. It's, I mean, it's a big, it's a big situation for Auburn basketball, and we're definitely going to know more about this team. If Auburn beats Alabama, Ole Miss, and Kentucky, they will have shown that they can, that they can beat any team in the country because there's not going to be a team in the country that plays a different style than, or a drastically different style than anybody Auburn's played. 
Auburn's played Syracuse. Auburn has played a team that runs pretty much an all-zone defense, and nobody's better at it than Bayheim. Auburn has proved that they can beat that zone. Auburn has proved they can beat a team like Loyola that has given a ton of trouble to really good teams in tournaments in years past because of how they play. They can prove that they can beat a small ball team like Alabama. They can prove that they can beat a team with a super intelligent point guard and a super good big man in Kentucky. So that's the thing. If Auburn can win the next few games, they'll show that they can beat any style of basketball in the country. And I think that'll be a really interesting thing. It'll be really interesting to see where the seating is and how the team continues to climb in the AP poll in the future and in the next next couple of weeks. Yeah, no, I agree. And don't forget uh, just an elite defensive unit, not even just like a yeah, gimmick exactly. style, just what LSU brings to the table with defensive style plus athlete. I don't think that they're going to run into a defensive team that has that combination. And so, yeah, I mean, it's like you said, the SEC is going to prepare whatever teams get into the tournament super well for the NCAA tournament. And having preparation plus really good athletes just and good basketball players in depth, I think Auburn has a good chance to make a run. Even if things don't go our way, you know, even if we go one and two in the Alabama, Kentucky Ole Miss three, three game stretch, you can't just hit the panic. Like, it's still a young team. They're still learning. That's a really tough stretch of basketball games. And, and basketball is different than football. You can lose multiple games in the same week and still be a really good basketball team. And it just so – I mean, you just had weird gimmicky things happen. So nothing – unless we get blown out in two of the three, nothing this week will concern me. And honestly, I mean, I don't – I care about beating Ole Miss. I care about beating Kentucky. I really – really just hope they beat Alabama yeah I'm I'm in the same boat if you if you could tell me they could if they're going to go one and two against anybody I want them to have that one against Alabama for sure and I I really enjoy beating Kentucky but I mean Alabama is just we all hate them but we do and but also the thing is you know with Alabama like you play them twice you know so if we lose in Coleman it's not the end of the world you're going to see that team again and you're going to see that style again. So Alabama's not as much, you know, obviously you really want to win in Coleman and it'll be good for the team. But at the end of the day, you do see him again. So it's not the end of the world if you lose that one because you're going to see the exact same team again and they're going to play the same style. So you'll definitely see that team again. And then, you know, that kind of, I feel like that kind of wraps up our basketball talk. And just real quick, uh, a little Auburn in the NFL update, you know, Daniel Thomas for the Jaguars picked off Carson Wentz. And, you know, the Jaguars are currently in the red zone up 20 against the Colts in the fourth quarter. If they win that game and really shake up the playoff picture, especially for uh, Raiders kicker Daniel Carlson, he's currently one of the he has one of the highest percentages in the NFL for field goals he has the most game winners and most quote unquote clutch kicks uh, as opposed if you're making field goals within 2 minutes or overtime of the game he has the most of those in the NFL right now they play the chargers on sunday night football if they win that game they'll have a chance or they if they win that game they'll be in the playoffs um so there's definitely potential and also steelers and ravens currently in a dogfight right now, Steelers have uh, Montrevious Adams. Uh, his last year at Auburn was 2016 defensive tackle. A lot of guys remember watching him on Saturdays. You might be able to watch him in the playoffs if the Steelers can hang on. And with the Ravens, I believe 
if they win, they have a lot more, a lot more stuff that they need. But Josh Bynes is employed by the Ravens. So a couple Auburn guys have their playoff future kind of hanging in the balance this week. So obviously, if you guys are watching those games, keep in mind the former Auburn players that are playing for those teams and just be able to cheer those guys on. But that kind of wraps up the podcast for this week. We'll be back again probably next Sunday. We'll be able to break down a little bit more transfer portal. We're imagining that'll heat up a little bit. And obviously, you know, everyone's going to listen to this and wonder about Caleb Williams. At the end of the day, there's been no news since Wednesday about Caleb Williams. He has not been on campus. He was not at the basketball game last week or last night. He's not there right now. Auburn has a chance. I would not tab Auburn as the front runner as of right now, but I feel like next week you'll see a little bit more movement in the transfer portal and hopefully a decision because, you know, Auburn University starts back classes on Wednesday and obviously Caleb Williams wants to be enrolled in the school that he picks before spring and he wants to go to that school in the spring. And obviously, you know, for big time athletes, the schools have been the rules a little bit more, but the the decisions of a lot of these big time transfer portal guys will be coming in the next week or two. So definitely be keeping an eye on that, keeping an eye on the portal, post notifications, put those on. You can just get quick updates and obviously we'll be back next week to break down everything that happened in Auburn sports. We appreciate all you guys listening and War Eagle. War Eagle.